0: Alright, we're jumping into part two of our series, If Money Talk. We're spending a couple of weeks as a church talking about money. It was last week, this week, we'll wrap it up next week, Um, and let's just just put it right out there. That makes people uncomfortable, right? I mean, anytime we talk about money or finances, um, in any situation, it's a little uneasy, but especially in a place like this, when we're considering church and reputation of the church and money, and it gets complicated, and it's like, I don't want to talk about it, and you probably don't want to hear about it, but you know what? As I was getting things ready this week, and I was thinking about that and the tension of that, like this thought just kind of hit me where it's like, so what? Like, so what if it makes me uncomfortable if it makes you uncomfortable? Because here's the reality. If you are a Christian or a follower of Jesus, this is something that Jesus talks about. And so even if it makes us uncomfortable, we got to get over it. Uh, and so there's that aspect. And then on the other hand, if you're someone, you're here, you're watching, like if you're not a Christian or a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do any of this. You can just completely blow all of it off. But um, you are invited in. You're invited to try it because we think it actually works. And the, and the Jesus way in things uh, makes life go better, including in areas of our finances. So we're talking about it. It's going to be good. It's going to be helpful. We're going to grow because of it. Because um, the reality is, you know, money's a big part of life. You, you got to have it, right? You got to pay the bills. You got to eat and live indoors. Um, so it takes up a central role in life. It's also something that. Uh, causes a lot of tension in life, anxiety and stress and worry and uh, just kind of freaking out about financial things. It causes a lot of tension and division within relationships. Um, And so it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about it as a church because we want people to flourish. We're going to talk about it because Jesus talked about it a lot. Um, But we don't talk about it as a church because we're after your money. And Jesus didn't talk about money because he was after people's money. In fact, he was after something else. Uh, and that really is what this series is about. It's the, the something else that our money really just becomes an indicator of. So that's what the series is. It's called If Money Talked because we are um, kind of flipping things on, our, on its head and saying, "What if, if our money could talk to us, what would it say? So often we're the ones telling our money what to do, go buy me some groceries, um, you know, put gas in the car, pay the mortgage, pay the rent, whatever that looks like. And we said, hey, if, if money could say, whoa, 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 whoa. let's sit down let's have a chat. If money could tell you from, from its perspective to say, hey, this is what I am and what I'm not, what I'm good for, and what I'm not good for, here's how you should use me. Like, what kind of advice would our money give to us? And, and the surprising thing, um, and we began to discover this last week, is that a lot of what money would tell us sounds a lot like what Jesus said about money when he talked about it. So uh, each week, it's kind of like, well, here's what money would say to us, boom, um, and then here's Here's what Jesus said along those same lines. So last week we talked about this. Uh, The money would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. Like money can add meaning, it can add value, but it is not like the point of life. It's not the purpose of life. There's more, uh, the way that Jesus said it was that, that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life's not just about our stuff. But our stuff, our things, our possessions can add incredible value when we view them and see them the right way. And that way is to see money as a tool. It's a resource. It's a means to an end, and an end that's bigger than just me, an end that goes beyond me. When we begin to see our stuff as a, as a, as a tool or a resource or as a means to an end to something bigger than just me, uh, yeah, there's a lot of freedom in that. And so that was what money would tell us last week. This week, here's what money would tell us if it could talk to us. Money would say this, the moment you think you own me, I actually own you. The moment you think you own me, that this is all my stuff and I can do what I want with it and you know, I worked hard for it and I deserve it, I think money would say, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. Because the minute you kind of shift into that mindset of it's all for me, then you're not the one who's in charge anymore. Money and stuff and possessions actually steps into the driver's seat of our lives. The moment you think you own me, I actually own you. You belong to me. And so I want to throw some some numbers at you and some ideas and some thoughts at you to illustrate this idea. And just I'm just gonna say like these aren't happy or comfortable thoughts and numbers, okay? So there might be a little toe stepping that's happening, but hey, when I when I talk about this, like I'm in this boat as well. Like some of what we're gonna talk about, it's like yeah, it's not me talking at you, it's me talking with you because um, yeah, money is just it's tricky, right? So. Some, some things to get us going in this direction of thinking when we think we own money, it actually owns us. Um, some statistics, because statistics are always fun. Here we go. 90% of Americans. 90% of Americans say that money has an impact on their stress level. 90% of people say, yep, money impacts my stress level. And that's actually not surprising. I, when I first thought that, I was like, saw that, I was like, well, let me talk to the 10% who it doesn't because they seem like the weird ones, right? Like it's just 90% say, yeah, money stresses me out. 73% of people would actually rank it as the number one source of stress in their life. 73% say it's the number one top source of stress in my life. Um, one-third of people can't afford a $400 emergency. Um, there's that that four hundred dollar figure. It comes up a lot. I don't know where it came from originally, but uh, when, when people study finances and the state of like you know, where people at financially, that four hundred dollar thing comes up a lot. It's like if you had a four hundred dollar bill that was unexpected, a four hundred dollar emergency, could you cover it out of pocket? You know, so like the water heater goes out, or you got to put four tires on the vehicle, and you weren't expecting that. I mean actually more than $400 now because hashtag inflation, but whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's just kind of one of those big ticket items like this wasn't expected. Something broke at the house. I had an unexpected you know, medical expense for myself or for my kids, you know, whatever. Um, one third of people would say, if that were to happen, I don't have like an, a, anything set aside where I could cover that. And so we're, we're talking about borrowing probably at that point. Speaking of borrowing, the average family has about $6,000 in credit card debt. Only 34% of people pay off a credit card balance each month. Only 34% of people pay that sucker off and start fresh each month. Uh, Over 60% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. And 40% of people are currently taking no notable steps, regardless of stage of life. 40% of people are taking no notable steps to secure their financial future. There is no planning for tomorrow. It's just like, how do I get through the day? And so whenever you hear those numbers and those statistics, um, it's clear that the average American is in a rough spot financially. When I say a rough spot financially, I don't mean, I'm not talking about dollars and cents and, uh, you know, income and expenses. I mean, that's a part of it. When I say a rough spot financially, talking like that, that big picture of the stress, the anxiety, how do I view this? How do I handle this? What do we do with this? We're in a rough spot financially. We're stressed and we're pushed to our limits, and sometimes we're pushed beyond our limits. And reality is, and again, one of the reasons why we're talking about this is, I don't want that to be you, I don't want that to be me, and I would argue that that God doesn't want that to be you or me either, and so it's not a pretty picture, and so I don't want to talk about, I want to shift our attention to one of the reasons that we're facing that, like, why that's the reality. Now, I do say that this is just one of the reasons, there are many reasons for. for or there's a variety of reasons for why a variety of people can be different places with the financial end of life and the stress and everything that comes along with it. You know, and some of those things are out of our control, right? Like some things affect our finances that we have no control over. When the economy takes a dive, I can't control that. When you know inflation happens and stuff's more expensive, I can't control that. Unexpected bills, I can't control that. Something changes at work, I can't control that. Like there's, there are things that are out of our control. But there are some things that, our, that are in our control. And I want to look at one of those things, one of the biggest reasons for the state, the economic state as, as individual, as people, the stress that we experience. Uh, because there's a trap, there's a trap that many if not most of us have accepted as, as, as just being normal and have fallen into the trap, and that trap is this. That we allow our income to drive our spending. Like that like that that's like, well yeah, that just seems like the normal thing you do. That's how people operate. That's what you do. That we allow our income, how much we make, to drive how much we spend. You think about it. I mean it means, you know, whenever if you make thirty thousand, you spend thirty thousand. If you make fifty, you spend fifty. You make hundred, you spend hundred. And over and over the course of, of a lifetime. Those things tend to track up. I mean, certainly, if you were to look at it on a graph, it's not going to be a straight line. It kind of does one of these squiggly things. But from the time that you start earning to the time that you get older, generally speaking, how much you make gets more and more and more over the course of a lifetime. But if you'd also track spending on that same kind of graph, the spending goes up more and more and more and more over the course of a lifetime. Our, our income drives our spending, and certainly as life happens, as things go along, there are expenses that are necessary to life. Sometimes you spend more the further you go along, so it's like, well, you know, uh, we, 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 well, I got married, and we had to buy a home, or we had kids, and it's like, kids are expensive, Amen, right? Yes, okay. And so it's like, yeah, there are some things, and there's you know, maybe medical things that come up, whatever. They're like, there are certain things, again, out of our control, where there are necessary expenses that will make our spending go up over the course of time. But how many of us know that there's some things that aren't necessary, right? Upgrading my device is not necessary. It's like, oh, two years is up, the old one's paid off, I can get a new one. Well, does the old one still work? Yeah but I can get a new one, it's not necessary, eating out isn't necessary, you know, grabbing lunch every day, rather than packing something, it isn't necessary, <laughs> multiple, like five or six streaming services is not necessary, I got Disney+, Plus, and I got Hulu, and I got Netflix, and I got Prime, and I got Paramount+, Plus. I got some ESPN stuff going on, it's like, okay, and again, you can do that, but is it, is it necessary, right? paying for Pandora and Spotify because I don't like the ads, that's not necessary. Vacations aren't necessary. Taking a break is, okay, like having a vacation in the sense that you shouldn't be working all the time, that's actually an idea that we find rooted in Scripture. It's like Sabbath, rest, that's good. But dropping a few grand to go to the beach not necessary, right? Like you, you see where we're kind of drawing these distinctions. And here's, here's the reality. None of those things are morally wrong. It's not wrong to have or to do any of those things. The question we have to ask is, is it wise? Is this a good use of, of what I have? These are things that are not necessary, but hey, I make more now, so I can spend more now. I can have a little more comfort, a little more uh, relaxation, our spending tracks with our income. But, but here, here's why I bring that up, okay? That was a, that was a roundabout way to say this. No matter how much money you make, or how how little or how much, if your spending follows your income, you will always be stressed. You get that, right? Like it's like it doesn't matter how much you make, as long as as long as spending and income are right here. It's like there, there's just always going to be a sense of stress. There's no margin because everything that that you make is already spoken for, right? And so then, if there's a bump in the road, <laughs> and life happens, right? There are bumps in the road, you know. Uh, something personal happens in your financial world, something in the economy, like something that's out of your control. And it's like, now you're like, well, uh-oh, what now? Because there was no there was no margin. This is why, by the way, uh, people who are really, really wealthy, or who you would consider to be wealthy, which, side note, that's kind of one of those weird things, because like, well, who's wealthy? You're like, I don't know, but it's someone who has more than me. <laughs> it's always someone who has more than me. I'm not wealthy. Everybody else is. But someone you say they've got so much more than me i mean you're talking like you know celebrities and famous people and you, know, you got vacation homes and multiple vehicles and like you just you know live in the life or whatever people in those situations can still be really really stressed about money and we look at them and we go how can they be so stressed how can they have financial problems how can they be upside down and bankrupt and finally like how, how is that even possible and you're like, they have so much and it's true they do but that even while their income is really, really high, so is, so is the spending, right? It's just, that's, that's what it comes down to. It's also really easy to think, hey, you know, someday, when I may, if I ever made that much, or if I make that much, that won't be me. That won't be me. I'll just have so much extra. And maybe, maybe you will. Maybe that would be your story. Um, maybe you'd be the exception to the rule, though, because... That's not what the evidence shows. That's not what the evidence bears out. That's also not even what our own experience shows. If, 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 if current version of you could go back and have a conversation with younger version of you and could tell younger version of you, hey, someday you'll be making, like, this will be how much you're bringing home. This will be the kind of house you live in. This will be the car you drive. I have a feeling that younger version of you would be like, are you kidding me? I'm going to have so much. Older version of me, what do we do with all of our extra an older version's like, <laughs> what extra? Because it just kind of goes away. I mean, that, seriously, that, that's that's my story. That's Christy and I, when we were first married. Some of you heard me talk about this before. We got married when we were 20, okay? All right? I mean, I, we, we we were young. We had to have sparkling grape juice at the wedding reception, you know what I'm saying? Because we <laughs> couldn't have anything else. Right? We were really, really young. Um, I had finished up a two-year degree in school. Christy was just partway through school and a part-time cashier uh, here in town. I was a self-employed landscaper, which means I wasn't exactly rolling in the dough. And it was like, Things were tight. We had some roommates to help us make ends meet. We ate a lot of ramen noodles, okay? I mean, I still like some good ramen noodles every now and then. Uh, I can remember when I'd be out working, I'd be like, oh, it's lunchtime, but I'm like, to save a little, a little bit. I'll stop by mom and dad's and see what leftovers they have for lunch, okay? Like, it was just, things were tight, and we we are a lot better off now, and certainly we have a little bit more margin, but not as much as younger version of me would have thought we did. And I was like, yeah, it just kind of disappears, right? Why? Well, because my income drives my spending, that's just the world that we live in. We let income drive spending. Sometimes it goes even further than that. Sometimes our our spending actually exceeds our income, and we get into the area of of debt. Um, maybe, and that's either because like there was a bump in the road and we had to you know cover an emergency, or there was something we just really really wanted, and we're not very good at being patient. Whatever it is, right? Like sometimes those things happen. But when income and spending are neck and neck, or especially whenever whenever spending outpaces income, we become slaves to our money and to our stuff. It, we no longer are really calling the shots in our life. That's actually the, the language that the Bible uses about it. It says the, 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 the borrower is slave to the lender um, because it's like I'm no longer in control now. My lifestyle and the, my standard of living that I've settled on, like that's now my master. My prior commitments that I've made are my master. Visa, MasterCard are my master. And it's like, I'd like to be generous or I'd like to do something for my kids. I'd like to go on vacation. But my other masters have said, no, you can't do that because it's all already accounted for. And so that's why, man, the moment money would tell us, the moment you think you own me, that you're in charge, that you can do whatever you want with me, you'll find yourself in a place where I actually own you. money would say if you want a healthy perspective you need to understand you don't actually own me you don't own me there's something in us that rises up and says no 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 no, that can't be true i do it's mine it's my it's my money okay like <laughs> jg wentworth okay it's my money and i want it now i do own you it's mine i worked for it i earned it my name's in the paycheck my name's on the bank account and i think if money could talk it would simply reply but well, you don't owe me because listen i'll still be here when you're gone ever thought about that? Like everything that we think we own, we actually leave behind, meaning we don't actually own it. We just manage it for a time. We just manage it for a time. And that begs the question, manage it for whom? And that is exactly what Jesus gets at in a parable that we're gonna look at today. Remember, a parable is just a made-up story. Uh, it's not a true story. It's Jesus is making a point. He's teaching something. He's like, I want you to know what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like. I want you to know like, what the value system of God is like. I want you to know what his rule and reign is all about. And not only that, but how you participate in it. Right? This is what it looks like when, when heaven meets earth. Okay? And so he tells this story. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. Maybe you've heard it before. If not, we're gonna unpack it together. Um, so, Let's, let's jump in. Matthew 25, uh, starting in verse 14. Jesus tells the story. He says, for it, talking about the kingdom of heaven, it's just like a man about to go on a journey. And he, he called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. So there's a guy, he's a rich guy. He's got a lot of stuff and he's going to go on a journey. And while he's gone, he has some servants um, that, that work for him, you know, uh, that, that he's like, okay, I'm leaving. But I need you to take care of all of my stuff when it's gone. I need you to take care of all of my stuff uh, when, it, when it's gone. Now, anytime Jesus would tell a parable and there's characters in the parable, there's always a person or people that represent, like there's a person that represents God and then there's usually a person in the story that represents his audience. So the audience that he was talking to or, or you and me today, just people in general. And so as we unpack this parable, uh, the, the, the wealthy man is God, the servants are people, it's us, it's me, it's you right? And so he's like, okay, here's what the kingdom of God is like. A rich man, he's going on this journey. He, he gets his servants together and says, I want you to take care of all of my stuff while I'm gone. And, and that's really important. Um, the wealthy man didn't give his stuff to the servants. He said, this is still my stuff, but while I'm gone, I want you to take care of it. It's all mine. A hundred percent of it belongs to me. Zero percent of it belongs to you, but I'm trusting you to take care of it, that's exactly. he entrusted his possessions to them, meaning this is my stuff and while I'm gone, I'm trusting you to do with it what you think I would do with it, right, like I'm going to be gone and while I'm gone, I want you to do my stuff with my stuff, what I would be doing with my stuff if I was here, that's the way I want you to treat it, that's the way I want you to handle it. The story continues, and Jesus says, to one of these servants, he gave five talents. Um, so some you may know this as the parable of the talents. We'll talk about a talent in a minute, it's just an amount of, of money. Um, to one of the servants, he gave five talents, to the other two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. And then he went on his journey. Uh, and so a talent, like a talent, what the heck does that mean? Uh, a talent was about 6,000 denarii. Uh, and a, den- a denarius is one day's worth of, of wages for, the, like, for an average worker. So it's just kind of like average salary for a normal worker, one denarius. So this is like 6,000 days work. It's about, one talent is about 20 years worth of pay, all right? So it is a lot. The first guy's getting 100 years worth of pay. Um, I, I did a little, a little Googling this week, and um, discovered that the per capita income in the state of Ohio is about $50,000, okay? So if we want to bring that into our context, uh, that means a talent is about $1 million. So one guy got 5 million, one guy got 2 million, one guy got 1 million. Uh, it gives us this picture. It's a lot that's been entrusted to these guys. It's not like just, oh, just a little bit. It's like, no, no, no. I'm giving you a ton because I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to do something with this. I'm giving it to you for a time. It's mine, but you get to use it. Um, you know, Recognizing how much it's worth to also helps us to realize the one talent guy is not getting a bad deal. Sometimes we think that or we impose that onto the story of like, well, why'd he only get one? That's still a lot. <laughs> like one is still a lot. And it says he, he gives it to each one according to their ability. Remember, it said that these are this master's servants, meaning they work for them. They likely live with him. He knows them. He's got experience with them and knows what they're capable of. And so he's like, okay, you get this, you get this, you get this, do with it what you think I would do with it. Immediately, the man who had received the five talents and he went and put them to work and he earned five more. In the same way, the man who, uh, with two uh, earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And so now we're going to have a little bit of a case study. We've got got three different people and two different responses of how they handle what they've been given um, to, to manage. The first two, they go, they put it to work, they double their money. The last guy, does nothing. He actually does less than nothing. Because <laughs> nothing would be like, and we're going to see this in the story, nothing would be like, okay, I'm just going to go put it in, uh, I'm going to put it in the bank. Okay, it can make some interest in the bank. But this guy actually has to go out of his way. He's like, I'm going to go and dig a hole and just bury it. Um, I'm going to do like literally less than the least, like the, the, the least I could do. Um, and so we, we've got these three responses. And it says in verse 19 that after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The master comes back and he comes and settled accounts. That means he held them accountable, all right? I'm coming to settle up. I'm holding you accountable for what you did with my stuff while I was gone. And so he's gonna get a report on how his money has been doing under the care of these managers or stewards or caretakers. And so I want to stop for a minute and just kind of ask this question to kind of check check our hearts, right? Like kind of see where we're at. The question is, when the manager comes back, when the rich guy comes back, when he settles accounts, when he, when he holds them accountable, how much do you think the servants get to keep? Or how much do you think they should get to keep? Right? Like what what assumptions are we making? What What cultural values from our own culture are we importing into this text and going, here's what they deserve. How much do you think they should get to keep or how much do they get to keep? And here's the answer and it's an answer that we don't like. They get to keep zero dollars. They don't get to keep any of what they were trusted with or what they earned um, for the ones that earned. Why not? Because it wasn't their money. It wasn't theirs to begin with. They were managers, not owners. It was just entrusted to them for a period of time. He says, listen, I'm the master. You're, You're the servant. You work for me. I entrusted this to you for a season, but I did not entrust it to you permanently. And we hate that <laughs> there's something in us that says no that's not fair that's not American that's not good capitalism right like like they they deserve it like they deserve something they should get to keep what they own they should get to keep a percentage right right it's not fair it's not fair it's not fair and there, there actually there is a sense in which this isn't fair but not in the way that we think. Fair would be they didn't get any to do anything with in the first place because it wasn't theirs to begin with. That would be fair for the beginning of this, for the master to be like, I'm not leaving any of it to you because it's not yours. That would have been fair. But there's this thing that just rises up and honestly, a lot of it has to do with kind of our capitalistic, consumeristic, like comfort-driven lives where we have a very deep sense of entitlement where like we just deserve things. And there's something that, that rises up when we hear things like this. And it's like, no, they should get to keep it. They should get to keep it. But but here, here's, here's why it doesn't need to be that way. Here's the part of the story I think that we sometimes miss. What we often miss out on is the fact that these are the master's servants. Meaning they, they, they were getting paid for their job. It doesn't make mention of that. But listen, like when a master has servants, they get paid. That means they would have lived with their master. They would have had all of their needs taken care of, they would have been provided for. Here's the beauty of the story, that as long as the servants were in relationship with their master, they got to enjoy all of it, even though they owned none of it. They, they got to enjoy every, even though, even though he's come back and said, hey no, this still isn't yours, like this does not belong to you, it's still mine. You actually still, you get to enjoy all of it, even though you own none of it, as long as you stay in relationship with me. And that's going to become clear as the story continues. So he settles up accounts. The man who had received five talents approached. He presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more. His master said to him, Well done, good, faithful servant. You're faithful over a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's joy. Come enjoy this. Come share in it. Good, good job. You were trustworthy. You were trustworthy same way the man with two talents also approached he said master you gave me two talents and see i've earned two more talents and his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you were faithful over a few things so i will put you in charge of many things come share in your master's joy right he tells these first two guys hey i mean don't don't be mistaken, like, remember, this is all mine, it's not yours, but you get to enjoy it. Come share in it, come celebrate, come, come, come enjoy and experience the blessing of what isn't yours, it's mine, but you get to enjoy it and experience it. I just kinda wanna note as well, like notice he, he entrusted, the, the guy that he gave two talents to, that guy wasn't expected to earn five. You know, like the five earned five. The guy with two, he doesn't expect him or criticize him for earning only two. And and so we can kind of read into that a little bit and and know too that the man that he entrusted just the one talent to, he wasn't expected to earn five. He wasn't expected to earn two. He'd only be expected to earn one more because the point isn't how much they got to manage. The point of of the parable uh, was what were they going to do with it? The point was, it's not about how much you have or what you don't have. The point is, do you recognize that this isn't actually yours? And what are you going to do with it? And so the man who had received the one talent, he also approached and said, Master, I know you, and you are a harsh man. You reap where you haven't sown, you gather where you haven't scattered seed. And so I was afraid. I went off, hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. This guy's like, "Mm, yeah, I know you. I think you're a bit of a jerk, so I'm just gonna hide your money in the ground the master responds and says this his master replied to him you evil lazy servant if you knew that i reap where i haven't sown gather where i haven't scattered and you should have deposited my money with the bankers and i would have received my money back with interest when i returned take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents but everyone who has more will be given and he will have more than enough to the one who does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. Throw that good for nothing servant into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> Harsh, right? Like, hey, you, you take his and give it to the guy with 10. Now listen, this isn't, that's not a literal statement. This isn't like, hey, literally, hey, I'm, I, it's good for you to take from people who have less and give it to people who have more. Again, we have to read that in what was the context of the point of parable? The point was, you're a manager, this isn't yours. You're just managing it for a while. So are you going to be trustworthy with what you've been given? And so he looks at these guys and says, this guy, man, he wasn't trustworthy with what he was given. So I'm gonna give it to the one who was. I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine if the roles were you know, reversed. If, if the guy who had five went and buried the five in the ground and the guy who had one went and earned one more, if, it had, if those two things have been switched, I'm pretty sure the master would've been like, take the five the guy that was given five and give it to the guy who only had one, because it wasn't a matter of how much you were given. It was a matter of, do you recognize that this isn't yours and you're just managing it? So what will you do with it? You're managers, not owners. He wasn't managing it well. It's interesting, you know, Jesus, he tells this story. He tells this parable, he's like, hey, this is how things, this is how things work in the kingdom of God. This is how things work in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like this, a rich man goes on a journey and he entrusts his stuff to some servants. He, he entrusts his, his stuff to some servants. And so I mean, if we could just kind of boil it down to, to the, the point of this parable, if you know, we said money, if money could talk, money would say, you're just, when you think you own me, I actually own you, you, you don't own me. And I think Jesus would come along and say, yeah, because um, you're, you're not, you're a manager, not an owner. You're, you're of everything that you have. And listen, we're talking about specifically money and finances in this series, but this is true of the time that you have, the resources, the talents and skills. This is true of your families, like everything you had to say, hey, listen, ultimately at the end of the day, you're, you're just a manager, not an owner. You're a manager, not an owner. And listen, that hits us at first. It's like, well, that, that kind of that stinks. It's actually incredible news, and here's why as it relates to the stuff that we have. Because managers, managers don't feel guilty, they don't feel ashamed, and they don't feel pressured about their stuff. They, managers don't feel guilty, pressured, or ashamed about how much they do or don't have. They don't feel that from themselves, and they don't let other people make them feel that way. Right? They, they, there, there's no reason for them to feel guilty. If you're just a manager, there's no reason for you and me to feel guilty about how much you do or don't have. There's no reason to feel ashamed about how much you do or don't have. There's no reason to let someone else make you feel guilty or ashamed about, well, you've got this much and you shouldn't, or you did this. Like, it's like, no, wait, 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 it's not mine. I'm not a manager. When you're a, a manager, not an owner, there's no, there's no reason to feel the, like, the pressure of like, oh, no, I'm going to fall behind, or you know I got I to gotta hustle, I got to grind, I got to get ahead. I don't, like, there's no reason, there's no pressure to feel that. Why? Because it's not mine. I've just been given some stuff. The question is, what will I do with what I've been given? I don't need to feel pressure about that. I don't don't need to feel guilt or or shame about how much I do or don't have. There's a a freedom in recognizing this isn't mine. And and so while a manager recognizes I don't need to feel guilty or ashamed or pressured or anything like that, here's here's what else a a manager recognizes. You are accountable and responsible. So like Jesus in this this parable, that's what he's getting at. He's like, listen, you... You are a manager, not an owner, which means you are accountable and you are responsible. I don't need to feel guilty, pressured, ashamed, because it's not mine. But it's not mine, so I am accountable and I am responsible. I feel a sense of accountability to what I've been given. What did I do with it? I feel a sense of responsibility because it's not not mine. You're accountable, you're responsible. We're, we're just managing some stuff while we're here. And someday, the master, the manager will come back. Whether well, that's when Jesus comes back, or as they say, or he calls us home. And it's like, what did I do with what I was given? Were you accountable? Were you responsible? So, to kind of wrap things up, I'm going to give you some homework for today. Um, here's the homework coming out of this message. I want you to spy on your money. I know, we just, I just spent a whole bunch of time saying it's not your money, but there's no other good way, like really in English for us to say your money. Spy on your money that's not yours, but you're managing. That's just too long of a sentence. So the homework is I want you to spy on your money. I want you to keep track of it. I'm not talking about a budget, cause that like some of you flip out when you hear stuff like that, that's further down, down the line. I just want you to keep track of it for, for the next month. For the next month, I want you to look at where, where was the money that I was given to manage? Where was it spent? And where was it sent? Where was it spent? Where was it sent? Where did I send, where did I spend what was given to me for a time? Because I'm accountable and I'm responsible. I need to know that. And it's not a matter of, well, I can I can log into the bank and just check that any time. It's not a matter of actually being able to do that. That's not the point. The point is driving home this reality that it's not mine and I'm accountable and I'm responsible. So I need to know where it is that the money go. Okay. Like I need to know where the money go. Um, here's some tools. If you want to be able to do this, if you go to ifmoneytalk.com slash tools, just the name of the series, ifmoneytalk.com slash tools, uh, there's some things that will help you out. Um, where you help you to watch where it's going uh, there, uh, there there's if you're like a, like a digital person there's a couple apps that are linked there uh, if you're a spreadsheet person they've got a downloadable spreadsheet if you're old school and you're like I like to write things down there's even a printable pdf but ifmoneytalk.com slash tools they'll give you some tools for spying on your money so for a month I want you to do this I want you to watch where it goes and then evaluate where did it go make some adjustments if you need to you know, for, for some of you, you're gonna, you're gonna do this and you're gonna look and you're like, wow, how could two people spend that much in a month? How could one person eat that much in a month? How could we watch that much money in a month? Or maybe you'll say, no, know, actually we're doing, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. But the point is you need to know where it's going because it's not yours. You're managers and we're accountable and we are responsible. Now, for some of you, I, this is hard. For some of you, I'm not here, like in the room with you right now, um, if you were, you'd want to throw things at me. Maybe you want to throw things at the screen right now. Um, I know that this is hard. This rubs you the wrong way. And it's like, I don't like this idea. Like, no, it is mine. And I don't like the, the concept. I'm just a manager. And can I, just, can I just push on that a little bit and ask the question, what is it that is driving that? What's, what, what, what's actually behind that? Because ultimately, I would argue that that kind of a, I have a hard time with this and I don't like it. It has less to do with money and more to do with our view of God. It has less to do with how we see our stuff and more to do with how we see God. And that is actually evident in the parable. We looked up, there's two guys. The two guys, they, the, the, there's two guys that trusted the master. There's two guys who are like, it's not ours, uh, and, and, but, we, but we trust, and, but we've been given it to take care of. And so we trust the master. We trust his character. We know who he is. And so be, we, we know that he's like, sh- he shares with us. He wants us to share in his happiness. And so those two guys acted accordingly in that view of the master that they had. But there was one guy who comes right out and says it. He thinks, my master is a jerk. I don't like him. He's a hard man. He's a harsh man. I can't trust him. That guy acted accordingly as well. That your view of God, remember in the parable, the, the, the master is God, the servants, that's us. Your view of God will ultimately impact your view of everything. But in this conversation, your view of God will impact your view of money. How do you see him? Do you see him as a God who wants something from you or as a God who wants something for you? Do you see him as a God who's like, he's just out to you know, get my life and get my money and get my stuff and get my happiness and he's also able to do a bunch of stuff? Or do you see him as a God who's like, no, he's a God that just, he is motivated by love. He loves me. He, he's, he, he's for me. He, he, he's, he's generous towards me. He wants to see me flourish. He wants to see me have joy and peace. Like, do you see him as a God who wants something from you or something for you? And here's the best news ever. You don't have to wonder because the cross has spoken. Cross of Jesus is the the loud and clear, the definitive, you can be sure once and for all that he is a God before he he ever wants anything from you, wants something for you. Because you don't have to guess about that. You don't have to wonder about that. You don't have to theorize about that. That that, that discussion was put to rest 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth, God in the flesh, they said, because I love you, even when you hate me, even when you don't know me, before you were ever even born, I want you to know that I love you, and so I will go to a cross for you. I will die in your place. I will experience the most excruciating, humiliating death possible, so that you will know that I love you, so that you and I can be in relationships, so that you can be welcomed into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, so that you can have eternal life. It's like, I am for you. I'm for you. And the cross is the exclamation point. It is the it is the central. This is how you know that God is for you. This is how you know that he can be trusted. He can be trusted in all areas of life. He can be trusted in the area of money. We can trust that it is his, that we're just managers. He's the master, but he is a good one. He's a good master. He's a good king. He is for us. I pray for you guys. God, I thank you so much for that that truth, that you are for us, that you love us, that you have sent your son Jesus to demonstrate, to prove that um, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. God, I pray that we would trust you in all areas of life. I pray in this area of of finances that we're having this discussion, um, Lord, that we would trust you, uh, that we would feel the the guilt and the shame or the pressure or the stress and the anxiety, that we would feel that come off of our shoulders when we recognize that It doesn't belong to us, we're just managers. So God, I pray that you would make us, uh, just through the power of your spirit, allow us to be good managers, we're accountable, we're responsible, that we would use what we have for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.